Good morning, Grace Bible Church, and to all of our visitors. We're glad to have you with us this morning. Uh, if you would please turn with me um, to Hosea chapter 11 in your copy of God's Word. It's a privilege for us to turn back to Hosea to look into God's Word that we might learn from those who have gone before us. And so as we are considering Hosea, we want to be thinking about how we can identify with those who have gone on before us. And so um, I encourage you to keep that in mind as you consider the word of God for us this morning. And I believe there's something that we can uh, learn. There's something that we can learn. Uh, there's something we're able to know about the scriptures and we're able to apply it to our lives. And so let us be in search as if we're looking for treasures within the word of God. So um, Hosea chapter 11. When Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the bells and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to them and fed them. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king because they have refused to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own consuls. My people are bent on turning away from me. Though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adama? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart records within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not a man. The Holy One in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. They shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. Ephraim has surrounded me with lies and the house of Israel with deceit. But Judah still walks with God and is faithful to the Holy One. Let's pray together for God's help. 
Lord and our God, we come before you, before your word, in hoping that you would help us, help us to know you, help us to discern your ways, help us to turn. Help us to turn away from the idols that may be amongst us, the idols that may be hidden away deep in our hearts. Lord, help us to look with open eyes through the light of your word that we might see clearly your commands that we might obey them. Help us to leave here changed people, remembering the redemption that you have given us. Remember the atoning sacrifice that you have given through your blood, that we might become children of the Most High God. Help us to know you, O God, Be glorified amongst us. As I decrease, may you increase. May you receive all of the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning I've entitled today's sermon, Love Without Limits. If you're going to be trekking along with me during uh, the sermon, I have three points. One point, the first point is God recalls the love he has for his people. Point number two, God admonishes his people for their disobedience. And point number three, God emphasizes his love and holiness before a corrupt people. So far, we've dealt with 10 chapters detailing Israel's disobedience to God and the nation's unwillingness to change. Also in these recorded accounts, it showed the awful judgment the nation would have to suffer and face. However, chapter 11 begins the final section of the book, which marks out and focuses in on the Lord's restoration of his people. At first, we saw God's people continually and constantly rebelling against God. The consequences of their actions we saw also. But these last four chapters make known God's unfailing love and God's Irreversible promises. So now let's let's begin with point number one. God recalls the love He has for His people. Oftentimes, Hosea communicates using certain relationships to describe to his readers a truth about God. It's either a truth about God or it's a truth about his people. In the past, he's, he, he used the image of a marriage. He began with the marriage between Hosea and Gomer. And he described the likeness of the people of Israel who had cheated on their God by worshiping other idols. 
And so we saw at first the marital relationship and how it pointed to the relationship between Israel and God. In this chapter, he uses the image of a relationship between a parent and a child. In a way, you can sense the tender love and care God has for his people as he recalls his love for his people, Israel. Listen to the words within the text in verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. It's like a father Looking back now at his son, who has now entered manhood. And and as if he's remembering all of the great memories as he saw his son living and growing up to eventually become a man. And so here we have... God the Father, looking back upon Israel, saying, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Can you sense from the text that God loves and cares for his people? What's interesting is, In Matthew, Matthew quotes this very same verse in reference to the Lord Jesus as the ultimate and perfect son of God who also was delivered from danger and brought out of Egypt. Turn real quickly to Matthew 2.13 so we can see right there in the text what it says. Matthew chapter 2. Beginning at verse 13, it says, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he, and he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son. Here we see the kindness of God being referred to as an attribute of God that was also demonstrated in the life of Christ. But in this case, in the case with Israel, despite God's love for his people, they showed no appreciation for what God had done. They forgot God's Goodness and instead behaved with ungrateful attitudes. And in the last chapter, we discussed how if the people of Israel would only repent, all hope would not be lost. But being that same typical Israel from days of old, Their pride prevented them from acknowledging God's love and kindness. As God recalls his love for his people, he states in verse 3, Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. Here we can sense God's love for his people as a father for his child protecting them. 
But Israel missed this opportunity to reflect upon God's love for them. They failed to think deeply about the Lord. The beginning of verse 3, it seems as if God was pondering the good he had done for Israel. Listen again to the verse to get a sense. The Lord said, yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. Israel, who also is thought of as a son, had no clue. They were ignorant to what God had done for them, just as Gomer, back in Hosea 2, 8, the text says, and she did not know that it was I who gave her grain. You remember the wine and the oil who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. You remember Gomer was was creeping. She was going out at night. She was leaving her husband to go be with other men. But Hosea went and bought her back. She didn't know it was Hosea who bought her back, who spent what he had that his wife may be with him, be with him. And in the same case, Israel doesn't recognize that it's the one true God who is providing for him. In addition to this picture, the Lord considers Israel as his favorite, treating them with a love that is long-suffering and kind. In verse 4, the Lord reflected upon his care for them and said, I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love. I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. I bent down to them and I fed them. As if God is saying, I met them where they were. I gave them what they needed in their most desperate times. I took the work from them. I took the yoke off of them and I fed them. What do you think of when you hear about how the Lord cared for Israel like a son? But having them also mistreat him with a kind of gross neglect and disregard as if they don't even need God. You got to admit that we're not careful. We can get caught up in the text and maybe feel a little bit disturbed. And say to ourselves, how could anyone treat God in such a way? What do you feel? Did you say, how could they do do such a thing? Did you say, what a shame? Did you say, that's sad for them to treat God in that way in light of all he had done for them. You know what the truth is? We are just like them. We are just like the Israelites. We at times treat God the same way in light of what he has done for us. 
in light of what Jesus did on the cross for us. What negligence have we committed? How have we disregarded the things of God? If we took a real look at our lives, we could see that the Lord has been mighty generous to us just as he was with Israel. How long has God been patient with us? How long has God showed us his loving kindness? Long before we became believers, God loved us and has been tenderly caring for us even till now. Think about all the times God was patient with you. You didn't deserve it. Through all of the times we were rebelling against God, through all of the times we were ungrateful before the face of God, he still loved us. How often do we recall the characteristics of God's love? Do do we really think deeply about the love of God? Because one of the, the confidences we have is knowing that God's love is eternal. What a beautiful thought is that God's love extends far beyond this life. What an encouraging word. The psalmist says in 103, 17 through 18, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. On those who fear him and his righteousness to the children's children, to those who Keep his covenant and remember to do his command. God's love is eternal. And not only is his love eternal, God's love is a covenant love. Deuteronomy 7 and 9, the text says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God and the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. God's love is a covenant love. God's love is not only eternal, it's not only a covenant love, but God's love is lavished. It's as if God doesn't have any restraint on his love. He just pours it out. He pours it out on all, the just and the unjust. God's love. It's lavish. Nehemiah 17.9. I'm sorry. Nehemiah 9.17 says, They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them, but they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And they did not forsake them. And lastly, this last characteristic about God's love is that God's love is holy and just. Psalm 37, 28 says, for the Lord 
loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. But the children of the wicked shall be cut off. Those who do not possess relationship with God through Christ will be cut cut off, separated from God forever. God demands faith in his son in order for anyone to be saved. This is One of the main reasons, considering that this is going to affect us for the rest of our lives and even now. See, this is the reason why we need to reflect upon God's love. His love never fails. His love is continuous and is not contingent upon what we do. Love God, love, God's love is constant. It is not conditioned by what we do, but rather the love of God is dependent upon what he has done and therefore unconditional. Point number two, God admonishes his people for their disobedience. Though the Lord is merciful and kind, his love requires correction and admonishment. In other words, because God loves his people, he cannot allow them to continue in sin. He understands their need for guidance. He understands their need for correction. He understands that when things are out of order and chaotic, they need to be brought back in perspective. He understand their need for guidance because they are ignorant to the will of God. And they need, they need his guidance because they often rebel against his commands. And not only that, they're teaching others to do the same. This can't be. There's a need for all of mankind to know and to do the will of God, especially those who believe and are his covenant people. Because Israel did not heed the commands of God and return to him, they will in Instead, return and have to endure captivity again because of their blatant disobedience. We can be saying to ourselves about Israel, how long? But oftentimes we can relate because we find ourselves stumbling and bumbling in sin. And we might even ask ourselves, why do I keep doing this? So we can relate. We can come alongside one another when they've fallen or when we've fallen into sin, we have that same need. So we can understand how difficult life can be when we try to have or try to live uh, from a perspective that God did not order for us. And anytime we go outside of the plan and the will of God, we, like the people, will face hardships, difficulty, sufferings of various kinds. But in this case, they will be exiled. They will be disciplined by going back to slavery. The very thing that God had brought them out of. Now they will go back in captivity. They will 
begin again to be a people without a homeland. They're going to be deported. They're going to have to be banned from their own country because of their disobedience to God. Listen again to verses 5 through 7. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king because they refuse to return to me. It's not like God is asking them to do some hard thing. God is wanting them to change their direction so that he might bless them. If they would only obey, God is willing and ready to lavish on them his love. But he says, they should not return to the land of Egypt, but, but to Assyria shall be their king because they refuse to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. You see, they're not listening to God. They want to know what God has to say. He says, my people are bent. We, we, we've seen it before. We, we, we try to tell our children to go a certain way, but they're bent on what my friend told me that it's okay. It's okay. But we've lived long enough. We've been on that road. And we can keep them safe. But every now and then, we have to let them see. And I think that's what God does. Just as we do the same thing in allowing our children to go through life, that they might experience the difficulties of life if they go outside of the parental guides. They're going to have some problems. It's the same way with God. God has some guidelines. He has some ways that he wants us to live by. And so the people, they don't want to hear that. He says, my people are bent on turning away from me. And though they call out to the Most High, in other words, they know my name. They call me when they want me, but they're not willing to turn to me. It says, God is able to see through all of that, right? Though they call out to the Most High, he should not raise them up at all. God is not concerned just with some outward change that we have made in our lives. God wanted all. And with him, it's all or nothing. He's not willing to negotiate. He wants it all. He wants our whole life, our whole being. He wanted all, everything before the face of God. And so we're able to, to hear the same word that was given to Israel. God was ready to extend mercy to his people, but, that, but they rejected it. They chose the wide road that leads to destruction instead of the narrow way that leads to life. And peace. What about you? Could the Lord be admonishing us? For example, 
Do you own anything that makes it easier for you to willfully sin against God? Or let's flip it around. Is there anything we don't have that's causing us to willfully sin against God because we don't possess it? Do we have any secret pleasures or hidden idols in our possession? What I mean by that, do we have pleasures or idols in the secret places of our minds while at the same time claiming devotion to God? Heard somebody say, and there's some truth to it, that when we have a mind that is not governed by God, it's a place where the devil can play. These are kinds of questions we must regularly be asking ourselves because we should never put a false trust in people, in pleasures, or in the things we possess, for in doing so, we defy these things. We make them out to be gods for ourselves. So we must challenge what we love doing. We must challenge what we enjoy. We must learn from those who have gone before us and instead practice to live our lives in obedience to God. We must make him Lord over all things. Lord over Everything that we own and possess, he's to be Lord and Savior. God knows those who are his. He knows those who are pretenders. We know this because in Matthew 7, 21, the Lord himself said, not everyone who says to me, make profession, Lord, Lord, would enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. So the life must match the profession. My last point, God emphasizes his love and holiness before corrupt people. Without the love of God, without the love of God and his tender Loving care for his people, Israel, they are hopeless. It's amazing that though the Israelites were so bent on disobeying God, dishonoring God, God on the other side was so bent on not allowing them to continue. His love says, I'll go wherever they are. To the gutter, I'll go. To the drug-infested home, I'll go. To the broken marriages, I'll go. To obedient children, I'll go because I love them. This is our God, the Most High. And this is the kind of love God wants to emphasize to his people. And so we can't forget that God's hope is built out of a foundation of holy love. Now, this is so beautiful, at least I thought it was as I read it, because with us, we are so impatient with one another. We don't want to take the time to help others 
make positive moves. We just want to tell them what to do and leave them and then judge them as to why they are not doing it our way. Now, God have a right to do that. But listen to how God deals with a rebellious, ungrateful people from a disposition of holy love. We see it in the text in verses 8 through 10. Beginning at verse 8, the text says, The Lord... How can I give you up? And then he says, oh, Ephraim. How can I give you up? You are mine. You're my son. How could I hand you over to anyone? You're mine. I, I, I can, I can, how, how can I make you like Adama, how can I treat you like Zeboiim? To, to give a picture here of what's going on, there's two cities, Adama and Zeboiim. They were the surrounding cities that were destroyed along with Sodom and Gomorrah. You can imagine that these areas were, were useless it's as if God is saying, you're, you're mine. How could I throw you away? These areas were useless. You couldn't plant. You couldn't build. They were good for nothing. The Lord would not give up on his people because he who begins a good work in you shall complete it. The Lord loved his people when nobody else did. It means in times when we are alone and feel lonely, we must speak truth in our lives. For God has often told us from his word, Lo, I am with you always. We must live our lives in that way. We must live our lives before the face of God. You see, because the Most High, he loved them when they didn't deserve to be loved. That's the main idea of the book. It bleeds a limitless unconditional, holy kind of love his people don't deserve. They don't deserve his love and they don't deserve him. But listen to what God says about his rebellious people. My heart recalls within me. This is is God. My compassion grows warm and tender. We have relationships. We know about when people have turned from us and we can't help them, but we can't help how we feel about them. We don't stop loving them because of the trials and the difficulties that they're facing. But it's interesting that God is expressing emotions. And I would even add that this is an intense, divine emotion deep within the heart of God. God loves his people with an incomprehensible love. And because Israel's covenant-keeping God feels this way. He will not destroy them. He always keeps a remnant 
for himself. In verse 9, the Lord states, I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man. In other words, I keep my word. I am not wishy-washy like human beings, like the humanity that I have created. I am God, not a man. It says, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. The Lord keeps his promises. Now, in verse 10, we see a turn of events. God, at the same point, is going to reestablish his people beyond the discipline they would receive in the future because of their disobedience. He's going to turn them so that they might begin following the Lord. He will turn their hearts to him. God is going to make them aware of his holiness. He states in verse 10, uh, and I'll read through 12, they shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return to them to their homes, declares the Lord. Ephraim has surrounded me with lies and the house of Israel with deceit. But Judah still walks with God and is faithful to the Holy One. At the appropriate time, God is going to instill in them a healthy fear to himself, of himself. They will begin honoring him again. They will begin adoring him again. They will begin giving him the reverence and respect he deserves. In other words, there's going to be a day of a new exodus. There will be a new act of salvation. Hosea uses the exile to point to the exodus. The people are able to recall as a pattern for salvation. And so, are you aware of this? Are you aware of God's love from day to day? Do you give God the reverence and the respect he deserves from day to day? If, we, if we, we're honest with ourselves, we, we all have room to grow. It is, in other words, let me rephrase it. Is God reigning in every area of your life? Have you fully given yourself over to him in all things and in all ways? Have you fully given yourself over to the Lord? Or are we just pretending? Is it just something to do? Is it something on the list that we can check off? Even now, in preparation that the Most High would speak to us, how do we plan for this moment? How do we plan for every moment we open up the word of God? Do we, do we really anticipate that God is speaking to us and is ready to lavish on us his love through his word? Or is it just another book that I've been told to read and I want to be obedient? We ought to be zealous for the Lord unto good works. We ought to have a certain awareness to seek out opportunities to obey God. And that means that we find ourselves thinking about how we can be a blessing We're thinking about opportunities, how we can serve 
one another, how we can reach those with the gospel who are in remote places who don't have the privilege as we have it in being free to worship, are we praying for them? Are we loving on the people of God? This is one of the challenges for us. No one is able to do and to live and to honor God with human strength. It requires a dependence upon God. It requires trusting in God. It requires hoping in God. It requires the spirit of God. No one can do the works of God apart from Christ. So if you're here today and you do not know him, then there's nothing you can do for him. It's only when we come into right relationship with God, right communion with God, that we're able to worship. That we're able to adore him. It requires ongoing dependence upon him. We must constantly and continuously look to Christ. The author and finisher of our faith. If you haven't received Christ, receive him today. Believe in him and be saved. Believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus says, I am the way. In other words, Every other way will lead you to hell. Therefore, come, follow me. There's no works for you to do. I've done that. There's no righteousness for you to earn. I've done that. The righteousness you need to enter into the kingdom of God, I've done that. Everything that we need have been fulfilled in Christ. And so if you're here today and you don't know him, don't try to get your life right first. That's not the requirement. The requirement is believe first. And if you believe in him, he will supply you with everything that you need that you too might be zealous for good works. So come and follow him. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, thank you for your word. Your word is precious. Your word is valuable. Your word is everlasting. Lord, we pray that your word will constantly be on our minds. Help us not to be a forgetful people. Help us to to be like the Bereans, searching the scriptures, seeing everything that was said, if it was true. Help us to look intently at your word, knowing that through your word you speak to us, Help us to do all of that which pleases you. In Jesus' name, amen.